This is the continuation, beginning at verse 12. Who measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand and adjusted the heavens with his spanned fingers and contained the dust of the earth in a pint pot and weighed out the mountains with the scales and the hills with a pair of balances? Who adjusted Yahweh's spirit and as his consultant kept him informed? Whom did he consult so as to help him to discern and teach him in the path of judgment and teach him knowledge and inform him of the road to full discernment? Behold, nations, as a splash from a bucket and as dust on a pair of balances, they are to be assessed. Behold, Land masses, he lifts them up like so much powder. And Lebanon itself is not sufficient for fuel, and its fauna is not sufficient for a burnt offering. All the nations are just about nothing placed in front of him, partakers of nonentity and meaninglessness. They are assessed in comparison with him. And to whom will you liken God, and what likeness will you arrange for him? An image? A craftsman casts it? A goldsmith plates it with gold, and with chains of silver, a silversmith? The impoverished person, for his oblation, chooses a tree that does not rot. A skilled craftsman he seeks for himself to set up an image that will not slip. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not from the start been told you? Have you not discerned from the foundations of the earth? There is one who is enthroned over the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out like gauze the heavens and has spread them like a tent to live in, who destines people of importance to become nothing. Earth's judges he makes meaningless. No sooner planted, no sooner sown, no sooner their stock rooted in the earth than this. He has blown on them, and they have withered, and, like stubble, a whirlwind carries them off. And to whom will you liken me, that I should be on his level? The Holy One keeps saying, Lift up your eyes on high, and see who created these who brings out by number their host, calls all of them by name, through abundance of power and reliable in strength, not a single one is missing. Why do you keep saying, Jacob, and speaking, Israel, my way has become hidden from Yahweh, 
and from my God, my judgment passes away. Have you not known, or have you not heard, Yahweh is God eternal, creating the extremities of the earth, unfainting and unwearying, unfathomable in his discernment, to the fainting, giving strength, and to the powerless, multiplying durability. And young men faint and grow weary, and picked men stumble completely, and those who wait confidently for Yahweh put on fresh strength. They rise up on wings like eagles. They run and do not weary. They walk and do not faint. This is the word of the Lord. There is a distinct uh, change of scope now in the second half of this imagery, but it, it's still amazingly poetic, and you know, the imagery is uh, quite something. This chapter here completes Isaiah's demonstration of the nature of our Creator God. There's a real global, uh, more than global, there's a, a kind of a whole universal uh, th- thought to all of this the stars, the whole of creation, this is the God who created everything. So in addition to his tender shepherding that we ended the first 11 verses on and the saving of his people, here we are reminded through Isaiah that Yahweh has infinite power and is in control of the universe. Now to me, given that I don't understand half of what's going on around my life, but certainly not more broadly. And sometimes you can just despair when you see some of the awful things going on in the world. Isn't it nice, ultimately, beyond all that, that our great God is in control? So, this is a little bit like Job. If you know the book of Job quite well, this whole feel of uh, questions being asked and answers coming forward... And these reminders that we're getting here um, rather rebuke our human way of thinking small, of uh, getting knocked off course by small things. To be fair to Job, he was knocked off course by virtually everything. Um, He had a really tough time. But here, Isaiah is pointing out to the people that compared to God, we are really very, very small. But we can humbly have a completely solid expectation of God being in control of things and being willing to bless us. So here are messages about God's glory, his greatness, and his willingness to bless his people. What's being pushed out to the fringes of what is happening is any human notion that we can cope ourselves and we can cleverly get ourselves out of trouble. Human self-sufficiency doesn't fit into this chapter at all. 
assumed wisdom, human wisdom, leads to destruction. And I thought it was very interesting in verse... Um, let's have a look. Where is it? Yeah, verse, verse 14 and uh, verse 13 too, where there's talk about consultants. It almost feels slightly... Um, humorous this whole thing you know who, who did God need help from to do all these wonderful things and you do think about today you know consultants are very much to the fore in government uh, well God didn't need any consultants and he never will he needs people who are obedient to him and wish to be in fellowship with him so because the answer to all these questions who did this who did the other the answer is nobody except for the creator God. That is the answer. Verses 15 to 17, another behold. We're seeing here things through God's eyes. Um, you know, he looks at his creation. Initially, he, he knew and thought it was good. He was pleased with it, as we read in Genesis. But all very small from his perspective. And yet he's a God who cares for us as individuals. Romans 1 talks similarly about people who feel that their own wisdom is sufficient and that they know what's what or, or were clever and if you had a bit more science this would be revealed and so on but actually uh, that song was chosen earlier um, which is posing the questions who can know the mind of our creator he's just way beyond imagining we're getting glimpses here not not everything that comes in heaven I, I'm pretty sure 21 to 26 we are zooming through as you will see uh, these giant similes that we get they're they're really poetic they're not scientific uh, they're not trying to prove the order of anything in particular but they are really showing us that it is the king of kings who oversees history verses 22 to 24 there is one who sits enthroned notice that before Galileo and others there's talk here of the circle of the earth. That's interesting. I mean, I thought circles were, were round, but the Catholic Church didn't seem to translate this verse quite that way. So there is a God here, a king of kings, who oversees everything, the cosmos, as well as nations. Verse 23 is interesting, just briefly. It's only in Isaiah that we see this uh, talk of people of importance and yet sometimes you know when you look at the news there's an awful lot of people of importance who are vital to the well-being of millions of people across the world it's only used six times in the whole of the bible all of them in isaiah it refers to leaders and high officials those whose power and influence is only ever temporary they will come they will go whether they're very motored in or not they'll come and they'll go the implication here i feel is very much there is only one leader whom we should rely upon and we know will always be there and that is god himself who is that good shepherd finally the final four verses are probably the best known in this um, chapter as we move particularly towards the last bit but verses 27 and 28 are really talking about applying each day our knowledge of God's greatness. Not to grumble. We heard something about grumbling this morning from Sarah. 
That's the notion here. You know, Jacob moaning, Israel moaning, nobody quite happy. Why hasn't God done this out of the other? No, that's not what we're meant to be like. We're meant to be um, applying our knowledge of God, relying on him, trusting in him, and above all, knowing what he thinks of us and what he wants to do for us. So let's just home in now on the last few verses. This is really about the people then. It's about the church today knowing how to live their lives. Many people have only a very vague sense today that there is a creator. A lot of people are God-fearers, but it doesn't really go much further than that. And they still live as what has been called practical atheists. You know, day-to-day, -day, no prayer, no studying of the word, no being aware of, of what God is up to in their lives. And it's been said that it's very easy to believe in the infinite power of God as demonstrated in these lovely verses, but at the same time to feel that he is unable to meet our personal needs. That is not our God. Our God is that tender shepherd as well as that amazingly powerful creator God in charge of everything. Derek Kidner said this, the wrong inference from God's transcendence, his total uh, brilliance and power, his almighty nature, the wrong inference from that is that he is too great to care. The right inference is that he is too great to fail. That is a lovely, reassuring summary of the truth that's coming through here. And do we sometimes act a bit like this, that, oh, I don't deserve, I'm not quite. God isn't limited by being too busy with lots of other people. He has infinite time for each one of us. He wants the very best. And then, 29 to 31, we have this amazing, lovely promise, which I'm sure virtually all of us come back to when we have tough times. It's a lovely promise about having our strength renewed. It's conditional on us waiting confidently before the Lord or hoping confidently in him. There's a gentleness, but we have to open ourselves up to his presence. And then the, the promise is there. That's all we have to do in order to regain strength. And what the translation does actually bring out is it talks about putting on fresh strength You'll probably remember from quite a few places in the New Testament in Paul's letters, he talks about clothing yourselves in righteousness, whatever, taking off the old dirty clothes, putting on the, the pure clothes that God gives us. And there's a sense here of getting rid of the old dusty stuff, putting on fresh strength, newness, being renewed. Literally, it means change strength. It means don't rely on the other things you used to rely upon. It means make sure your strength is coming from one place and from one person and that is the lord and then that lovely promise we will rise up like eagles now the final thing i want to pull together is there's something odd about this verse that we all love i'm sure well it's not just young men i'm sure it's young women and older men and older women too verse 30 and then 31 
putting on fresh strengths. If you look at it, the order is peculiar. People who have their strengths renewed, first of all, they rise up on wings. They start flying. It's the imagery. Then they run, and then they walk. If you think of the human lifespan, we tend to walk in a staggering way. We grow up, we might be able to um, do a little bit more and start running. And finally, who knows? You know, the sky's the limit kind of stuff. Olympic Games, whatever. Why is this order like this? Well, I, I've come up with something which um, I found online here. and I think it's, it's lovely. It links it back into the New Testament. Firstly, and I think this is the correct kind of running order. In Ephesians 2 verse 6, Paul talks about, and God raised us up with Christ. When we come to Jesus, we are lifted up into the heavenly places. We can be with him truly spiritually. And then many places close to God the Father. And then when we've come to Jesus, when we are lifted up by him, when we're saved, forgiven, made righteous through his righteousness, then, as in Hebrews 12, verse 12, we can begin to run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And finally, this... Uh, notion of walking last not first it's kind of walking the walk a verse from a couple of verses actually from colossians 2 so then just as you received christ jesus as lord continue to live in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness i think there is just something there about the way in which God loves to refresh us, renew us, put us back on our feet and get us moving with him in the direction he wants us to. So there you have it. It's a change of gear. Um, the rest of Isaiah has amazing sections. But here we have this reassurance after the tough chapters that have come before about judgment, kind of that tender love that God has and it's not just any God it's not just a kind of idol or somebody we invent this is the Lord of the universe and he's got time for us and he is there to strengthen us in our lives day by day amen let's just